Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 286 of the No Encore Music Podcast. We're back. My name is Dave. His name is Craig. How you doing, buddy? Hello. I'm good. Yeah. I've just realized I've barely spoken today in general. Like I've just been working and writing, so might be a bit marble mouth more so than usual, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I've got every faith. On this episode, we'll be talking about <laughs> lots of stuff. <laughs> As he rolls his eyes and he's like, Christ. I, I, I moved my head. I didn't roll my eyes. I'm not like, like I, I, not, not where you could see me, man, through the wonderful prism of Zoom. Uh, right, so on this episode, Craig, Music Podcast, thanks for listening, everybody. Yes. Hope you're, if we, we could have some new listeners, because of course it's been a busy week for the show. This is the third episode of the week, technically. The first episode that arrived was Adam Shanahan, Sonic Architect's new project before the Encore. First episode of Before the Encore, a new periodical in which Adam speaks to industry professionals about the stories behind the songs and how they become songs, is out now, featuring Joe Hertz. That's out on your podcast feed right now, as is a new episode of No Popcorn. Myself, Dave Higgins, Norma Howard, chatting about In the Heights, a musical sensation. Getting musical. <laughs> yeah, which I really enjoy, but it seems a lot of the general public haven't because it was a box office flop. A flop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's good, though. It's worth seeing. It's charming and wholesome. Check it out. Check out the episode as well and check out Before the Encore. But on No Encore, new episode of that, which is this. Uh, on this episode, we'll be doing top five Songs with names in the title. A lovely, cumbersome top five title that really rolls off the tongue. Don't you agree, Craig? Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I wrote it and sent it it's to no you. It's no criticism. So. I'm just saying it's a lot of words. 
Well, I did also suggest um, songs that are named after people. That's probably snappier, is it? Yeah. Or does that is that vaguer somehow? Songs named after people? We'll see. Kind of. I, I guess it will depend yeah. on we'll what see. we do in this one. If we kept it fictional or if we went for real people, because that could be a top five all of its own. But we'll see what happens later in the show. I guess the reason that we're doing that is in honour of our album review, is it? Or is it a different thing that we... Oh, I thought it was... Um Sweet Caroline, <laughs> the Neil Diamond banger that <laughs> pushed the England team to, right to the finals. No, it's, yeah, it's uh, it's Dave. It's the fact he has a track on that new album called Lazarus. There's a lot of Lazarus songs. So, yeah. Was it a reach? Who knows? It often is. Say. That's what we do. I almost p- I can say I, it was. I almost picked a Lazarus <laughs> song for my top five, but I didn't. There's an early spoiler for you. Dave, uh, not this Dave, but a much more talented Dave, the rapper hey, from the UK. Talented in a different way. Uh, he's released his second album and it's called <laughs> We're, all in this Toge- uh, We're All Alone in This Together, uh, which is a very prescient <laughs> title from a very socially conscious man. And we're going to review his yeah. record, his hour-long rap record later in the show. And uh, that's all the preamble, I think. It's patreon.com slash noencore if you want to help support the show. A huge thank you, by the way, to everyone who does. Uh, We've had some recent signups, and that's great. For the price of a pint, you can get bonus episodes, you can get episode previews, playlists, and you also, more importantly, help keep the lights on for this show, keeping all the wheels turning, of which there are many. So it's patreon.com slash noencore if you like to support the show. That'll be unreal. As for this one, we press on with the news section, which starts, as it always does, like this. You heard about the good news? Do not worry, we will get to Kanye West and more importantly, Craig's apology in time. What's this now? Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm going to give you the entire new section to prepare for this because, you okay. know, there's some All stuff right. to walk back from last week for you, sir. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, despite the kind of jaunty teaser there, we have to start with bad news. It was on Tuesday night this week that the news filtered through that Joey Jordison, a former drummer of Slipknot and founding member of that band, passed away suddenly at the age of 46. He died peacefully in his sleep. It is currently unknown what really kind of happened. There hasn't really been much beyond a family statement, uh, which, like I say, emerged late on Tuesday night. The statement reads, we are heartbroken to share the news that Joey Jordison, prolific drummer, musician and artist, passed away peacefully in his sleep on July 26, 2021. Joey's death has left us with empty hearts and feelings of indescribable sorrow. To those that knew him, understood his quick wit, his gentle personality, giant heart, and his love for all things family and music. Uh, the family have asked the friends, fans and media, understand we respect our need for privacy and peace at this incredibly difficult time. A private funeral service will be held. Uh, Slipknot themselves haven't, at least as of time of this recording, to my knowledge, uh, released much of a public statement apart from kind of blacking out their social media accounts in reference to what has happened. Um, yeah. Uh, anyone who's listened to the show before will know that I am a huge Slipknot fan and have been since the year of 1999. I've had the pleasure of interviewing a couple of members of the band in the form of Clown and Jim Root. They're a band that mean an awful lot to me. Um, yeah. So obviously I'm very upset about this. Um also, I should say, um, the reason I'm kind of laughing is because of how I found out. Uh, somebody messaged me during the week. It was very well-intentioned. Uh, I think they thought that I knew, but I didn't know. Yeah. And it was kind of a very matter-of-fact, vague message with one of those ones. And I was like, what? Sorry, what are you referring to? And then they like very directly, matter-of-factly informed me what had happened. 
uh, you can't pick your delivery system for news like of this nature, unfortunately. Uh, and it just kind of rocked me. I just sat there numb, genuinely kind of numb. And then I Googled the news and then sure enough, there it was. It had, you know, seen all these kind of headlines that had gone up in the last five, six minutes. Um, it's an incredibly sad story. Um, Joey Jordison, I think, has been rightly hailed this week as a result of his passing in terms of the impact he's had on metal music and music in general. Um, an incredibly iconic figure. That's an overused word, but he genuinely was um, a diminutive yeah. figure with a very distinctive kind of kabuki mask. He had the number one in his Slipknot numerology. Uh, huge part of the band, like I say, a founding member. He was also one of the chief songwriters. He was very, very close to Paul Gray, their bass player who passed away 11 years ago at this point from an accidental drug overdose. And, you know, essentially... The Joey Jordison story is quite a sad one because he was fired from the band in late 2013. Uh, he himself has given had given several interviews saying that he never quit the band, that he was fired via email, very acrimonious ending, and he hasn't been involved with the band since. Um, it's kind of unknown really what went down. Uh, he himself has given interviews before. He did a very lengthy one, I think, with Metal Hammer back in 2016, and he revealed that he actually suffered from a, a nerve condition that kind of came on when he was touring with Slipknot and essentially robbed him of the use of one of his legs and kind of fucked up his playing. He intimated that he felt that other band members thought that he was, you know, kind of abusing drink and drugs, and that wasn't the case. I mean, they themselves have never directly stated that, though. I mean, you could say there have been some implications. Um, I don't know the status of the relationship. Joey Jordison, in recent years, when talking about the good times in Slipknot, was still very, very positive about... Uh, the experience he had with them and how he was still kind of cheering them on. He was replaced by a guy called Jay Weinberg, who's the son of uh, Max Weinberg, Bruce Springsteen's drummer, an incredible drummer in his own right. But Joey Jorison just has this kind of incredibly intrinsic uh, link to Slipknot that he always will have. Like I say, I'm a huge fan. Um, I found the news and I still find it very hard to take. Uh, a few people kind of messaged me during the week asking how I was, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I don't think, worry yeah, about within it. Within our circle and even wider circles, um, a lot of people's thoughts would have gone to you um, because you're obviously so closely linked to the band and they've meant so much. And yeah, you know, when it's a, an act that you've grown up on, that you've invested so much into, when you lose kind of someone like that, even though you've never met them, it does feel like a kind of, like the scaffolding of your kind of childhood, a piece of that is removed and it just changes things, right? It's it's tough to process. Yeah. Um, and like when I played drums years ago, I, I was never like a metal drummer, never anywhere near as good as Joey Jordison, never had the skill. Uh, I did though, like I... I I, I got the drumsticks he used, like the cool black ones with the white yeah. tips. I got the Joey Jordison <laughs> snare drum. You know, I had that. I've said before on the show that my drums were stolen. That included that snare drum. So I hope whoever stole my fucking snare drum is paying their respects this week. Um, it's weird because like I always gravitated more towards Clown in that band, just his kind of style of drumming, which was kind of unstylish. You know, Joey was this incredible super blast beat technician who worked with incredible speed. I mean, a lot of people have shared videos as well of some of the more kind of crazy stunts he would do of like the kit itself kind of floating up and levitating and turning around him playing upside down. Like that kind of stuff never really wowed me, but his playing did and his presence in the band did this kind of tiny giant behind the kit. They had two other drummers, but you know, they were kind of window dressing maybe for some people by comparison to what this guy could do, which is a snare drum and a kick drum. Um, a huge part of the Slipknot story, and like I say, I, I think one of the harder parts of this to take is that 
the way that that story ended. And I'm very curious to see what yeah. kind of statements Slipknot will come out with individually and collectively as the days go on. Uh, there's not really a lot you can say apart from that it's incredibly sad. 46 is no age to go. Um, I hope that there was no pain for him. Um, he seemed like a kind of a quiet f- figure who, you know, was harmless. I, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know the guy's private life or anything, but it just feels wrong and feels kind of impossible. It feels kind of impossible yeah. that he was even 46 at all. They're just kind of one of those bands that you kind of expect to live forever, given the nature of their image. Um, yeah, it sucks. I'm really, really hurt about it. And there's not much you can say apart from the fact that he is rightly kind of being hailed this week as one of the most important musicians, I would say, of the last 20 years, at least certainly oh, within his field anyway. Even as like a, a you know distant admirer of the band, uh, in my case, like... <laughs> I knew him, I knew, like, they seemed like a band that were quite literally built from the rhythm section up, like, you know, kind of founding member type stuff, just so powerful. And uh, I was reading today that he once, at short notice, was able to replace Lars Ulrich for Metallica. So, I mean, if you can do that, you, you, you can, can do anything. Lars. Yeah, Apparently that was at, like, the Download Festival, I think, in 2004, after Slipknot and, had played yeah, their it was set. huge for him, of course, because, you know, jokes aside, Metallica, but... um. Slipknot have had the same kind of impact in a different generation and a lot of that was down to him so rest in peace yeah rest in peace and I'm really really glad I got to see him live and yeah they're a band that will continue to mean an awful lot but this this one hurts because they are kind of a family and it was a shame to see that family kind of fractured with him so hopefully they honour him in the correct way and I'm sure that they will uh, should mention real quick in passing as well the passing of uh, ZZ Top member Dusty Hill yeah Dusty Hill yeah the bassist um, 72 which you know again is kind of this day and age, no age, uh, with the band, something like 50 years. And I think he'd stepped aside recently. Um, I think he'd had hip problems and it was a case of like, the show must go on and he'll be fine. And obviously there was complications or I'm not sure what was going on, but um, yeah, another sad one and another kind of end of an era. ZZ Top just so iconic as well. Yeah, tough week for rock and for metal. Um, and as we now try and do the impossible and just pivot to a lighter news story, tell me about punk is it a tough week for punk music craig given the casting of a certain biopic coming up yeah biopic for sure um another legend uh sadly passed joey ramone um there's uh, a film netflix biopic upcoming called i slept with joey ramone i think we've talked about pete davidson um starring in the titular role which i'm pretty excited about i i believe you are too i think he's probably the right guy for the job he's you know new york true and true a bit like weird in the best possible way whilst also being hugely charismatic and i'm sure he'll give it his all from the sound of things as well he is absolutely petrified of portraying such a kind of again iconic dude so he's just been opening up about like his preparation for this thing and like how he's going about it and he says quite frankly like he's fucking nervous so yeah, he was talking um, about how he's about to start music lessons and voice lessons and all this other shit. And it's honestly a dream come true that they're giving me a shot, he says. Hopefully I do it justice and I hope I don't let anybody down. I'm definitely taking it very serious. I'm doing my research. Uh, he's, so he's got this whole strict routine of like drum, guitar, singing lessons because kind of Joey did a bit of everything. But um, I can see this being kind of great. I think the casting is spot on. As I said, he lived quite an interesting life, just... We talked about the Ramones recently on a top five. I picked their debut as just like one of the great short albums of all time. And um, 
what a weird kind of stranger in fiction story. There's a lot of material in there. So, yeah, I'm hyped for this one. Yeah, uh, I'm worried about the wigs, you know, the, like, especially after we watched The Doors recently <laughs> and Colin McLaughlin's yeah. wig. I mean, or wigs, rather. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing about, like, Joey Ramone and that entire band was they always looked like they were wearing wigs. And, like, they looked preposterous in such a great way you could barely see his face like with the shades and the letter and him being like seven foot tall but weighing like a hundred pounds so yeah it'll be interesting to see how that goes um they've got like the music rights and all that kind of stuff they've got the permission of the estate so things are looking good yeah i mean i i still don't understand whenever anyone does a film like this without the music rights like that's the first box you tick uh yeah i'll check it out I, I can't say i've got a huge kind of hype for it but i like Pete davidson i maintain by the way i'm standing by this because i know this film is opening the day of this podcast coming out but uh, i'm standing i haven't seen it yet i was supposed to go to screen this week but i wasn't able to go in the end uh, i'm standing by my months-long prediction that Pete davidson will be killed immediately in the suicide squad as a joke that's my <laughs> prediction that I'm standing by so if anyone has seen it um you know you can let me know it's fine I will check it out soon okay. but yeah we'll see I'm sure that's this week's big prediction big, we'll talk about Dave's last week's a little later prediction. <laughs> uh, real quick before we move to the next story Craig you mentioned uh, a classic debut album uh, are you no no uh, this yeah. isn't a quiz I don't have a quiz for you it's fine um, <laughs> I could sense the tension <laughs> I sounded like an injured animal there you did yeah like, yeah you uh, back genuinely started caring back in your seat there yeah <laughs> fucking hell Come, give me some credit no I was just going to say although this might make you feel a bit kind of wounded uh, how did you feel this week when Is This It by The Strokes turned 20 years 20. of age and also uh, by the way so did Bleed American by Jimmy Eat World two great albums shout them out it was a good year um, 20 years seems impossible doesn't it fucking like, nuts I can't, yeah. I can't they say like the strokes still seem very young to me but I guess <laughs> as you get old <laughs> everyone starts seeming very young so that's where we're yeah, at yeah but the good news is Greg, I, I believe you and I are getting our second vaccines next week though so age sometimes helps you out speaking of helping people <laughs> does, out yeah. Pink what's she up to this week Pink has been quite rightly uh, outraged at some of the goings on in uh, women's beach handball. She's offered to pay a fine that was incurred by the Norwegian team. Uh, I, I saw this story before Pink was involved and I was just... I thought this was no longer a thing, but clearly it is. So they were fined, uh, Dave, um, over a grand for improper clothing. And when you hear that kind of thing, you're like, what were they, like, what kind of ridiculous stuff they're wearing? They were wearing shorts, <laughs> like the men's. Um, but apparently in the rule book, <laughs> according to like the the EHF's disciplinary commission, um, if you're competing in the European Beach Handball Championships um, on the women's team, you have to wear uh, what's essentially like bikini bottoms very revealing bikini bottoms and there doesn't seem to be any rationale for it whatsoever uh the norwegian federation stood behind the team and said they were very predator girls and then yeah pink got involved too in a tweet over the weekend she said she was very proud of the team as well protesting the very sexist rules about their uniform and she said she'd be happy to pay the fines for us so this kind of you know maybe she was just saying that I don't know if she did actually pay the point. Maybe we're giving her too much credit. But the Norwegian team were quite happy. They responded with, wow, thank you so much for the support. Yeah. Ridiculous. It's a, it's, a, it, it, it's a happy ending, perhaps. Um, so 
Yeah, I think each member of the team was fined like 100 euro or something. Uh, I was actually talking about the story on national radio last week, so I'm very familiar with it because I was doing... Um, okay, give us, give us some background. <laughs> well, the background is that the Norwegian team like have been actually lobbying to change their uniform since 2006. So it's like, for fuck's sake, you know, come on. And did you do any digging in terms of like... Is there a rationale given for, like, obvious, the obvious thing is that, like, it gets viewers, i.e., like, dirtbag men being sure, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it, um, you know I mean? I'm glad you asked that question because, as it turns out, there was a quote attributed to a woman by the name of Jessica Rockstro, who is a member, a spokesperson for the International Handball Federation or something. And she said that they don't know the rationale. We're looking into it, but we'll look into it after the Olympic Games, which is incredible. <laughs> fucking, um, what's what's the term in politics when someone like just shifts things around? There must be some specific elegant term here that I'm not thinking of. Oh, there is. Yeah, yeah. yeah there Fuck, is, what is but, it? Like it's not um, hedgerowery or something. I, I feel like it's something of that nature. It's not flip flopping. No, but, but you know, we know a, what we're yeah, getting at, though, listener. Term. It's it's yeah, when someone deflects and doesn't do their job, and that's what was happening. So yeah, I mean, like absolute solidarity with the team. Like it's absolute bollocks. Fair play to them for doing this protest of wearing slightly longer shorts at a time when the world will see it. But I will say, to go back as well, so it was on Today FM last week, the last word, Matt Cooper thing, which I enjoy doing, and it was like the week trending. So it's like, here are the big stories from the yeah. week. And it was just kind of like... um it was just like fucking every like Irish radio culture war bingo. All the stories like there was this. There was like oh they might be introducing a law against wolf whistling in the UK. And it was like I was like every story here is designed to piss off the listener. <laughs> I was like this is Dave gets cancelled bingo. Like I'm like how the fuck do I get out of this? And I'm just like obviously I don't agree with lechery. You know like, this is horrible. Uh, but yeah the question remains. Did you wrap up the segment by saying I would just like to restate uh, over the course of all of these stories. <laughs> that I am very much against lecture. I actually wrapped up the segment at the end of it by saying I want Fox News to burn to the ground, which is actually a pretty good get out there. Here, I here. enjoyed my Friday. I'm sure there's a listen again. I, yeah, go back there is. Yeah, you can check it out. Cool. I enjoyed it. Check it out after this I, I enjoyed my Friday pints after that one, I'll tell you. Um, I don't know if Pink has paid this money. Maybe she gave them Revolut details or something, but fair play. And yeah, fuck whoever is, you know, at the decision-making process of this. Just do the right thing. Uh, what else is going on this week? You did the news. Thank you, by the way. Yeah, Lil Uzi Vert. Um, there's an update You're on his head You're obsessed with this story, man. <laughs> yeah. You can't get enough of it. Oh, I love it. So for those that aren't in the know, um, Lil Uzi had a $24 million diamond implanted in his forehead a while back. Uh, quite dramatically, he had to get rid of it because he said uh, he was bleeding from his head and he was blaming the diamonds. Now, we should say we did a follow-up uh, story on that. I don't think it made Matt Cooper, but um, <laughs> the jeweller, Elliot, Elliot Hunt, uh claimed that the diamond was as safe as any other piercing. It can't be the diamond that caused the bleeding. Um, so basically, you know, shots were fired. And then over the weekend... Um, Head of the rapper's performance at Rolling Loud Miami, um, which is, you know, your standard Florida super spreader event, I guess. Oh, <laughs> some political editorial new... commentary there, Craig. <laughs> is it? Continue, by all means. Rock the mic. Say what you want to say. You've shown off a new tongue tattoo. That sounds like... Just, I guess why? I knew it was a thing, but I hadn't thought of before. A tongue tattoo. Like, I've, I've got tattoos. And some people, like, get, like, the inside of their lips done. Fair enough. But, like, the tongue. Surely, like, it's just gonna... Like, how do you keep that sterilized for two or three days? You're supposed to keep your tattoos wrapped up. That makes no sense to me. Yeah. I sound like my dad. Yeah, I don't But know. nonetheless, <laughs> it's... I just think that it's, it's a step too far. I'm sorry. I, I haven't seen the video, so I don't know what the tattoo is of, but, um... 
if you're getting a tongue, you have to get some like novelty thing, right? That you can do like a kind of, I don't know, visual illusion with. No, like it's <laughs> some tattoos are private, Craig. Some people who have tattoos like, don't like being asked it the meaning like of them. Like a lizard or something. I don't know. I don't know. He also showed that he'd put the pink diamond back in his forehead. So Great. it's back where Great it belongs. <laughs> people went wild, and there's a follow up to this story. Okay. By the way. <laughs> It's almost like <laughs> this article was padding towards the end. In other Uzi news, the rapper reportedly has a sight set on buying a planet. <laughs> it was not the lead, but um, an acquisition which, if it were to go through, would make him the first human to legally own a planet. According to Grimes, that's the first mention of Grimes in the story, Grimes tweeted last week that documentation was almost complete for Uzi to legally claim the planet WASP-127b. It's a gas giant, Dave. It's an exoplanet. It's 1.4 times larger than Jupiter. And he's working on it. <laughs> he tried to surprise everyone and get the deal done, apparently, but hasn't come off just yet. So, um... Next week, maybe. Yeah, I won't lie to you, Craig. I have no idea what is going on. This is <laughs> this is way too much occurring. Like, do you want to hear about um the boss and uh, Barack Obama penning a book? Sure, I haven't checked out their podcast though. It doesn't quite appeal to me. I'm sure it's great. It doesn't appeal to me. Yeah, either. I'm sure it's really fun. It's one of those things where do you, do you think so? Or are you being sarcastic? Because it, it strikes me they're at like if it's just them like unfiltered having the chats. And it's kind of low key. You can imagine it being good, but it's got to be like I don't know, pure out of existence. You know, think and just when you're at that kind of level, I don't think a podcast is going to be that great. Maybe I'm wrong. There's yeah. a book coming out that's going to be based around their podcast conversations, um, which is kind of disappointing. It's just one of those massive kind of like illustrated formats. It's got handwritten lyrics in it as well. It's got annotated Obama speeches, which is great. They're probably on Genius already, I'd say, right? yeah. I mean, like... Uh, yeah, I think there is political speeches Big annotations fan. That is a cool thing to do. Um, this week alone, though, I, I won't be getting this book, Craig, but I did back a Kickstarter campaign. I sent the link to you. Um, you did, yeah. So, uh, friends of the show... Woo Life. <laughs> friends of the show, Woo Life. They don't know that they're friends of the show. A band that we're kind of obsessed with. Um, they're doing like a thing. So they're going to release a thing called the LYF Archives. And it's this big kind of like cool looking book that will have essays and, you know, like all kinds of stuff related to the band and the album and like, you know, that kind of crazy time back in 2011. But it will also have demos of an album that Ellery James Roberts says that the band wrote. And then he was like, yeah, we just, we're, we're all fighting. Like, you know, we're not going to do this album, but... It looks like, it, like maybe like the patchwork of the second album that never was will be through yeah. this campaign. So I threw some money at it and I'll be getting it. I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, I need to throw some money at it, um, but I'm hyped. That's very exciting. More exciting than Renegades, Born in the USA, which is the name of this book. Jesus. Is that the name of the podcast? Renegades? Probably, yeah. Imagine we'd call no encore Renegades. There's a Rage Against the Machine song called Renegades. It's a good one. So... Yeah, but renegades. That sounds like oh like if, if it didn't. I think if two Irish white blokes start a podcast called Renegades, I mean, it's probably oh. like so uh, the vaccine, right? I mean, you know, like what you're putting in your arm there is actually, you know, like it's going to kill you in two years. Like it'd be one of those kind of things. Just for the record, by the way, I yeah. don't think the vaccine will kill you in two years. For anyone who threw on the podcast at that exact moment, <laughs> I just want to clarify. Well, you were doing one of your character voices, so I'm sure people were just like, "Oh, there's someone else in the room." What? Yeah, you know, I slipped into it seamlessly, and now I'm back. 
Let's slip seamlessly into the next story, Beautiful. which is Ed Sheeran. Okay. Revealing that he almost retired. Um, and we would have had his daughter to thank. Tell you. Jokes <laughs> um, write themselves yeah. with this one, don't they? <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, basically <laughs> saying that, like, <laughs> next story. <laughs> <laughs> he was going to give up music, right? So he was like, I'm just going to be a dad. Uh, he was talking to Sirius XM. He says, like, oh, you know, once his daughter arrived, I'm not going to play music anymore. And then he had a quick change of heart. And the quote is, then I was suddenly like, it's more important for my daughter to grow up knowing that her parents have a work ethic, which is kind of... Interesting. Sounds, Maybe I agree. Uh, Maybe I don't. Yes and no. It's not the Garth Brooks model. What is the Garth Brooks famously model? Ab- well, he famously abandoned his music career in the early uh, 2000s, didn't he, to go live on a ranch with his kids? And Wasn't it after his divorce? You've seen that documentary. I actually haven't. I, I haven't seen the documentary. Oh, is, it, is this the two-part Netflix one? <laughs> it's the greatest thing <laughs> I haven't seen time. it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's a no popcorn seriously okay it's so good would you come on for that one so good would you come back on for that one 100% if yeah if you'll have of course man yeah absolutely um, uh, this kind of fish in the barrel for Ed Sheeran like you know he's harmless at this point I, I haven't even heard his new single <laughs> like it's been out for t- his powers have been taken away like from him I haven't heard the fucking thing I've just seen snippets of the video and I'm like yeah cool like I, you know I, I don't really associate in the same musical circles anymore uh, one thing that is retiring though is the x factor it's done simon cowell says there's no plans on bringing it back uh overdue i would say i only ever really watched it during college and even then i think i watched one season in full and it was kind of like ironically like that guy you know you know how it is but i'm genuinely surprised it lasted as long as it did i think mostly it was a force for bad i don't think it produced much in the way of good music and it was mostly a vehicle for the people on it you know the judges to kind of get paid a lot of money boost their profiles and also mock vulnerable people which is kind of shit don't you think so fuck them goodbye all right, there was an awkward pause there. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Just contemplated what I was saying. I thought you might have something to add. It's fine. I agree. Wow. No, I thought that was a nice moment to maybe do the draw. Why not? Yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's get to the main event of this week's news. Let's go. Attention, everyone. One, one. Shut up. Craig on Kanye. Now, if I may, break from tradition and I'll kick off this segment because last week on the show have at it last week on the show Craig uh, such terms and phraseology was used as uh, professional rollout I'm putting my reputation on the line and the album is out now and it's great and it's full of finished tracks we are referring to Donda Kanye West album that did not surface Craig why don't you take us through a timeline and more specifically yours because I believe you stayed up until quite late for Friday morning I didn't intend to, but it just kind of went that way as the night wore on. Yeah. Um, like it was initially scheduled, <laughs> it was initially scheduled to happen, the live event at Eight Bells, um, American time. American time. <laughs> so what, 1am? Is and, that what um, Yeah. Yeah. It would have been 1am. Um, and I was kind of like just making my way towards bed at that time anyway. So I was like, oh, sir, you know, curiosity killed the Craig. And um, 
I was like, I'll try and find that stream and just have it on the background. And um, as it happened, actually, as the wait progressed after me finding the stream, the kind of ambient crowd noise as they grew restless was actually quite calming in bed. Can I (laughs) just step in here for for one second? Because I was still awake at around at about 10 to 1 in the morning and I was frantically trying to find a stream and find a way to do this. And I saw that you were kind of starting to tweet and there was a certain um, puckishness, I would say, to your tweeting. I, I felt that you were getting in the mood and I put it into the group chat. I said, does anyone know how I can access this Kanye thing? And you replied. And you replied with one word. And the word was, at Craigie Slain. <laughs> like, my Twitter account. I was like, what the fuck is this? And then no further whatever. I was like, okay. I was bullish. <laughs> I was probably delirious. It had been a long week. And yeah, I started getting antsy. I couldn't sleep. I was trying to just drift off. Um... The wait turned into like an hour's long wait. <laughs> it was post three o'clock. Josh in Toronto on the group chat was, I think, going for a run, but also had the stream on <laughs> in his pocket. <laughs> and it kicked off. I, I will say like, you know, I might have been duped. I think Apple Music was kind of duped. They had very professional fucking ads put together. They were good to go. Apple Radio just became the Kanye show. And the Kanye show... It kind of opened, you know, with his um, now kind of signature gospel choir thing. The visuals look great. There was actual kind of songs. And it continued in a certain fashion. I eventually drifted off. And um, yeah, one of my last thoughts before I fell asleep was, this just doesn't sound finished. <laughs> Shockingly. Woke up the next day, the album hadn't dropped, Dave. And um the album's out now, though, obviously. No, people no, stop, no, 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 <laughs> stop, stop, stop. Oh, sorry, August Don't 6th do this. the definite. <laughs> you also owe, like, I feel like you owe the listeners an apology. You know, I, I, this is the point where you have to climb down and just take your licking, take your wounds. I apologize for nothing. Okay, <laughs> okay. Mo- <laughs> great, excellent. <laughs> Good stuff. August the 6th, Donda. He's currently living in a stadium. For more on that, Craig Kisatri. <laughs> He never left the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. And in a way, uh, neither have I, I think. He's been cited at um, different matches, just still in the same outfit, which is like the stocking over his face. So he looks like a not quite created video game character. And a fucking lagging jacket. jacket. Yeah, he looks incredible. (laughs) Absolutely amazing. He's the Phantom of the Opera. It's wonderful. Uh, he's put up some shots of his, like, he's he's put together an impromptu studio. I guess this is to signal his commitment to getting the album out in a polished and professional manner, as I <laughs> predicted. Craig. And uh, it's a pretty Spartan look, so... <laughs> Craig. No. <laughs> August the 6th, everyone. We won't be reviewing this next week, but when it happens, oh, we will. We, can I just say, Karen McGuinness um, reached out to me... Of De Laurentiis fame. Saturday. Yeah. Um... He was listening to the episode and I just got a message out of blue saying, when you stake your reputation on something, do you have to go double or quits on something even more outlandish to regain it? And he was saying, yeah, you know, the prediction hit different on a post on the postponement Saturday morning. I was listening thinking, no, Craig, don't. And I must say, as I was saying those words on Thursday, in my head, I was going, no, Craig, don't. But I kind of had to go listen What's better for the show? Will this be better content for the show? Just say it. Go over the edge. 
for the show, for the pod. Are you turning into like? So I did it, Dave, and you're. Are you turning into Jeremy Clarkson before my before my ears here? We'll give the last words to Sonic Architect Adam, who says a hash of a studio set up in a stadium is not in fact professional. But look, we can debate this into the night. We won't do it. Instead, what we will do is we'll move to our album review because one man who did not let us down, at least in terms of releasing a finished product, was Dave. He's back, and his album sounds like this. Look, I left my phone to my babies. Silent mode, my guys on riding mode, zombie survival mode. He's got a new vest, man, pop that showed no microphone. I ride for bro, he's next to I like typing O. The score five and O. Six to one. For the kicks I love, 1254 like six to one. Babe, can't look at my mentions, that's area 51. I'm so close to my pension, my left wrist is 61. My left wrist retiring. My apprentice trying to give Alan sugar There's no way I can Jordan 4s or Jordan 1s Rolexes got more than one My AP costs 31 Millimeters 41 Stick and That's Dave, the song is Clash It features a verse from Stormzy Who you didn't hear there You just heard Dave The record is called We're all alone in this together Now Craig, apart from this man having the greatest name of all time Who the hell is Dave? Can I just say, I don't think we'll be getting any Alan Sugar references on Donda. <laughs> it's just like, and hopefully no Trump ones either. Dave, Santan Dave. Yep, great name. He's also the um, Man United super fan we need and deserve. Uh, not these Mick Hucknell uh, clown men <laughs> out there. <laughs> but, you know, like any good United fan, he's from South London. Um, he's also, you know, already ridiculously accomplished and an assured talent at just 23, I believe. We're about five years on from his debut EP. Um, so we've had a song about Tiago Silva. We've had Drake remixing his stuff. He's had a number one single, uh, Fredo, Funky Friday. Best of all, Dave, Ivor Novello Award for his astute Tory demolition uh, question time. And that was all kind of building up to his debut in 2019, Psychodrama, which, um, yeah, I guess instantly like made good on uh, The Promise, really. It was a chart topper, uh, Mercury Prize and Brit uh, Album of the Year winner, which I think was the first time that it happened since the Arctic Monkeys debut album. And it feels like he's capturing the zeitgeist in a similar way. Uh, propelled him alongside the likes of Stormzy, as we heard on that track. Well, didn't hear on that track, but features on Clash. Your Skeptas, uh, your Rooney Serrano's <laughs> at the forefront of <laughs> British grime and rap. And um, yeah, like he's very accomplished um, as a rapper, but he's also made the most of the fact he's a classically trained pianist. He's a huge all-rounder. Uh, it would be sickening if he wasn't so likable and I guess vital Um Mentioned the Brits there as well, where he delivered under a kind of show-stopping protest piece as well. He's a tremendous talent. Um, he kind of matched by his tremendous strength of character and will. He had a tough upbringing. Um, his pastor father was deported back to Nigeria when he's young, leaving his mum to raise three boys, two of which are, you know, ended up in jail. The other being this Dave. Um, so yeah, just huge character. Second time of asking, back with All Alone This Together. You heard the lead single there. Um 
And yeah, I guess the big question is, will the parent record be a case of difficult second album syndrome or is he going to fro- like le- leapfrog his collaborator Stormzy on this one? Where are we at with Dave, Dave? Yeah, you've been waiting to ask that question all week, haven't you? And yeah. he, did it, he, did it, he did it wonderfully. Uh, was hoping for a primer on me, but that's okay. You know, we can do that the next time he releases an album, it's fine. Um, where are we at? We don't have the time. Where on. are we at on Dave? Um, it's definitely not a difficult second album. Um, it's it's being hailed in a lot of corners as a masterpiece, uh, an, an instant classic for many people. Um, I feel like I did him a bit of a disservice in picking that track, but it was the lead single because I think it's probably one of the weaker cuts on the record. I actually yeah. worked backwards on this one in a way because uh, my often mentioned housemate Richard Chambers last Friday when this came out sent me a link to the song Heart Attack, which is the penultimate track on the record. It's 10 minutes long. And he was like, this is one of the best songs of the year. And he is correct. It is. Uh, That's an outstanding piece of business, which actually closes. You mentioned Dave's mother there. It actually closes with like kind of a minute long, two minute long kind of speech from her about her struggles, Mm. her troubles in coming to the UK and raising a family. And much like um, you mentioned this on No Oxcord, I think on the last episode, you mentioned like a, a salt song that has a piece of audio that you found very hard to go back to. I found that that was the case with the closing moments of Heart Attack. It's kind of yeah. difficult to listen to repeatedly, I would say. Um, but a song about knife crime, a song about, you know, what like the social strata that kind of yields such horrible situations at a time when the UK, I believe, is on track to have its worst kind of, you know, teenage, violent teenage deaths and violent teenage crimes since 2008. Uh, Dave argues that it's about austerity. It's about poverty. It's about where you come from and, you know, like people who are kind of doomed to th- such a life as this, which includes his own brother. Um, uh, like his own brother is in is in prison for, 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 for the murder of a teenager years ago, which, of course, caused its own amount of controversy when he won the Mercury. There were people of the family member of the victim coming out and saying that this guy is glorifying this. Dave has previously said in his own music that he did idolize his brother. His brother was his hero. I mean, again, we're not we're not in the immediacy of these people and these moments and these life events. They are complex. I'd be he- hesitant to judge anybody involved, really, um, without knowing the context of anything like this. You know, it's 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 not so black and white. Um, over the course of this very very ambitious record, I think Dave is trying to do a lot. He's trying to show you that he's now kind of elevated class-wise, money-wise. And in a song like Clash, he's showing you, he's literally telling you all the amazing things he has that he spent money on. But, you know, he's also incredibly good at showing you the dark side of his life and the people he's lost and the battles he has to continue to fight um, as a young black man in in London, regardless of his success in his music career. On top of that, <clears throat> you kind of have a narrative through line here um, in which... Um, uh, Dave is kind of all but advertising his future film career, which is kind of what I took from it because he's got stuff like it opens up. There's like a the very first thing you hear when you press play on this record is like uh, you know the boop, projector boop, kind boop, of going like yeah. the kind of like you know the countdown to like recording and then. Yeah, like a director kind of hitting on. And then you have like a call from his agent being like talking about a film he might be in. You have various voices across this record, including other musicians, other peers. But you also have like members of the film industry, including Daniel Kaluuya, who pops up a few times. And I guess there's lots of references to like life being a movie and, you know, make your own movie and 
bring the people with you. And, you know, it all like this could have closed with Dave will return in a Netflix film. And he has done acting. You know, he's in Top Boy, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. His ambitions are not not to quote um, a character from Twin Peaks, but his concerns are global. Uh, <laughs> Daniel Kaluuya, when he won the Oscar, um, Dave was part of his kind of like, like the group of friends that was with him that night. And they were kind of posting stuff on social media. So uh, Dave is a multimedia artist. Like he's not just a, a hip hop guy, a rap guy. You know, he's kind of potentially a polymath. He can kind of do it all. Does he do it all on this record? Um, it's a long record. It's an hour long. Um, I think it's got. I think it's got some incredible stuff on it. I think it's got some duds. I think it's got two prevailing things that stick out to me. Number one, his ability. You know, especially to kind of do that balance and show you the braggadocious crap on one hand that he's literally earned, and then the pitfalls that come have come before it and are coming now after it. I think, you know, he's very good at doing that. He's very good at not being kind of condescending, patronizing. He doesn't really keep you at arm's length. He kind of invites you in, even if you're like, well, this isn't my world. Um, so he is incredibly compelling. He already was. We knew this. And he remains it. And a song like Heart Attack in particular is incredible. It's just like, it's it's probably up there with Elephant Gun from Nick Haven, Warren Ellis in terms of the statement it's making and how it's making it. But I do think that musically, this record falls down quite a lot. I think whether it's whatever production choices were made or the arrangements, like they're very basic. They sound cheap and un un uninteresting. They lose me a lot. And he goes from, sometimes the juxtaposition spin can be a bit too tonally askew. There can be moments like a song like Three Rivers, which is incredible. Um, and it manages to take on all kinds of history, all kinds of UK-based immigration history. And again, the complete social disparity. He's an incredibly socially conscious guy, and I believe him in that regard. And he's looking outward while also focusing inward. But then it's followed up with some kind of shit reggaeton song. And I'm like, why is this here? Um, you know, you've got an incredible kind of James Blake collaboration that's very late in the day. I think we could have cut this album down and I think we could have done a bit better on the music, but he is, I think he is the real deal for sure. Yeah, that's fair. Do you mean us specifically, like me and you and Adam just go to work on it and like make it a half yeah, hour Yeah, this album? is my scissor reel pitch for us to work on the next Dave album. I love it. I agree with a lot of that. Um, I think in terms of positives, it's a, you know, a second album. It's not a difficult second album. It's one where you have this young artist who's never really second guessing himself at all. There's a fair amount about this that I think is pretty sublime and it's mostly his talent at the heart of it. Um, that phrase, you know, wise beyond his ears is bandied about a lot with him. But I think he's really just off the bat cemented this very strong voice. He carries himself and the tunes with a kind of gravitas already, sure-footedness. Uh, but also a kind of nimbleness and lightness that allows for those kind of cracks of light to like, be let in time and again. And it feels like despite the chaos of the world around him and his upbringing, and this is really his domain, there's a kind of assurance to the music. Um, and yeah, he's all about lifting other people up. It's, you know, he's a total role model at this point, I think. It's funny actually listening to uh, that posse cut in the fire, which is, I think, one of the standouts. Uh, I think Meeks has a line where he's just talking. There's a reference to like So Solid and it being So Solid crew and like two decades on from those guys being like all over the tabloids of like 
these guys are going to, you know, destroy your children and ruin society. You've got this. We're now at a point where the moral standard bearers in like British society are this fresh wave of artists from that genre. And they're calling like politicians to account and the people that should be looking out for the people, which is both kind of heartening and horrific. But yeah, as for the album, um, there's a lot to kind of marvel at and applaud to really enjoy. There is... Um, some dead weight here. I think the lighter tracks don't quite work. I agree. Um, stuff like Law of Attraction. I think when he tries to do kind of like romantic kind of, not quite bangers, but um, just get a bit looser. Like there's one track with Snow um, and she's pretty good in it, but the chemistry isn't really there. And it kind of pales in comparison to Both Sides of a Smile, which comes later. And just in general, the music doesn't switch up quite en- enough. Like there's kind of... Inroads made to Afrobeat and some kind of uh, mid-tempo attempts at kind of pop bangers, but we're still tethered to those kind of piano beats, which just, he doesn't switch it up enough, uh, like, uh, enough for me at all. Um, so yeah, if it's film, if it's like that film kind of setting, if it's, if it's like sticking to those guns, it's something that you might want to see, check out. I don't know how much you'd go back to it. And I don't know, there is like stop you in your tracks moments. Um, Heart Attack is for sure one of them, but they're kind of scattered about. And like there's a moment, I think it's on Heart Attack where you're like kind of six minutes into it and he just goes off and it's pretty breathtaking. It's a marvel what he's kind of doing. The music cuts out. It's really bracing. Like what I had two takeaways in that moment. I was just like, he's an immense talent. And then the second thing, quite quickly, I realized when the music came back, was that like I wasn't missing the music at all and it was, wasn't was adding anything to what he was saying. And time and again, those, you know, it's a, it, I think it's a notch above like Fruity Loops piano stuff because you've got his kind of complexity on piano, but it's very, a lot of these do sound like they could be any SoundCloud rapper, don't they, in terms of production? Like, I, ju- I just feel like but that you expect, happens quite y- a bit. You expect something yeah. bigger, <clears throat> something more original, something more kind of more unique sounding for the record that it's in, uh, especially like on the second album, especially with the kind of the cloud he has coming in. And it's weird, especially on like a, a record that has a three-act structure, talks about movies and cinema all the time. And like I say, I have to imagine... I have to imagine we're going to be seeing more of Dave on the screen. I have to imagine that's where his career is going to go. Again, it's worth repeating, he's 23, which is kind of frightening. Um, and it's kind of frightening that he's like putting out psychodrama at 21. You're like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, yeah. I mean, this, you know, this is album number two. Pitchfork's review ended with saying like, you know, these are the opening credits. Like, you know, there's a huge story here still to be told. Um, you mentioned the Stormzy thing, like, you know, at Glastonbury before Stormzy said, Dave almost stole the show. Like, you know, like he's on his level for sure. They feel like peers. Um, and that makes sense for them to collaborate the way that they do on this one. But yeah, it's sc- scattered is a good word because it's a strange thing where the production, and I, and I don't just mean the musical production, but the production itself, like, like imagine this, this is a show. The show was letting him down as an actor, as a leading light, as an author. I don't doubt him for a second. And he rises brilliantly on this. And a lot of people are seeing that. And a lot of people are giving this five out of five and 10 out of 10. And they're giving him five out of five and him 10 out of 10. And they should. It's his fucking moment. And he leans into it incredibly well. But whoever put it together outside of him, or maybe even his own musical leanings, just kind of aren't there yet. There's a great album in here. 
It's not a great album. It's a very good one, though, and I'll give it 7 out of 10. Yeah, I think even when it's, you know, if the beats are occasionally undercooked, I think when he goes the opposite direction with the music as well, it doesn't quite work. Like you mentioned Three Rivers, and I think that's a really good example of what you're saying about how he is rising to the occasion. But then the musical backing is kind of very almost cheesy kind of string swells and stuff and you're just like it almost becomes it's like panorama pop or something it's like really on the nose so it does let him down and I think that's in stark contrast to when he gets James Blake doing both sides of a smile and you're like okay this production level is something different and I think if that's kind of the direction he could go if he could get in someone with that kind of Blakeian talent, we could be in for some absolute masterpieces. But um, yeah, he holds up his end of the bargain. Um, probably won't be going back to this too much. There's some really, really great cuts though, and possibly some songs of the year. Uh, I'm going to go six, I think. Okay, right. On that note, it's time for our top five. It's top five songs with names in the title. Kind of a say what you see there. Craig, how did you approach this one this time around? Um... <sighs> It was it was tough. <laughs> There's a lot of songs named after people. It was you I often say like it's kind of like choosing your children and it was even more so this week because all the songs had names so it felt doubly bad. Um I ended up just going with my gosh man. Just songs I enjoyed the most. Okay. How about ah, you? Same same for me as always man go with your gut. Uh <laughs> I, I I will say one thing though that I I decided to do uh it kind of wrote itself but I decided to not include any real people as in these are not songs named after real people for me was we'll see how it goes for you. What was your thinking there just to make it easier? Um or? combination of that and a combination of that's actually a top 5 I think that we could do down the road or maybe we can't if your list is full of real people I don't know but I will say and I meant to send this to Adam There's earlier on so when we play the first tune what I might do is I might just jump up real quick grab my laptop and copy out because what I've done this week as well Craig is I have written out five songs that I think could be your top five and I I would expect a hit rate of at least three of them to be in your top five so what I'm going to do is right I'll go first, which means I won't spoil it for myself, but I'm going to grab my laptop. I'm going I'm to WhatsApp Adam with the five and at the end of our top five, Adam can confirm how many I got right. How's that sound to you? I'm not saying you're predictable. Fun, I'm just like, <laughs> it sounds fun. I'm trying to get into your head. Right. It's top five songs with names in the title. And here's my first one. Five there for me. Uh, it's the Thinking Man's Daft Punk. It's Air and Kelly Watch the Stars. An incredible cut from 1998, one year before, of course, Summertime for Humanity. Uh, does you. this feel like a summertime song to you, Craig? Do you think Air? A lot of Air does, to be honest. Yeah, it's got a French lightness to it. Best kind of lightness, you might say. Um, Air, of course, are a French musical duo from Versailles. Very regal. Uh, They're associated with a variety of musical styles, including the following, as listed on their Wikipedia page. Electronica, (laughs) space pop, dream pop, progressive (laughs) rock. more time into my list. Down tempo, (laughs) chill out, trip hop, ambient, electronic pop and space rock. Um, They haven't released an album since 2012, by the way. What's going on there? Yeah, there's a lot of kind of soundtrack work going on. Um... 
individually, I think. I don't know. It's very strange. There was no real reports of a falling out or a disbanding or... Uh, they never really had the acclaim of, the, I guess, the popular acclaim of a Daft Punk, for sure. They seem to have kind of moments, right? I have to figure that this song in particular, Kelly Watch the Stars, uh, is a big <clears throat> influence on the likes of M83. Um, and as a matter of fact, this week, by the way, this list uh, really threw up a lot of opportunities for me to get super repetitive. So I left out a lot of stuff that I've, I've either previously covered or acts that yeah, I, I usually go to, like M83, Kim and Jesse. I didn't pick that. You know, Converge aren't in here, of course, with Jane Doe. Lots of others. I had, I, I had a list as long as my arm of stuff that I'm like, nah, I can't pick that, can't pick that, can't pick that. It's just too much of a retread. The first time I heard this song, which I find mesmerizing, was on Top 30 Hits back in 1998. And I had that cool video with the table tennis going on. I fucking love table tennis. And I love this kind of music I don't as think well. I've ever seen, I've never seen the video. video. It's very, no, uh, it's, it's, um, it as you might expect, it's, it, you know, it's a bit trippy. Uh, there's a girl playing table tennis and she starts to float in the air while continuing to play table tennis. And then it cuts to the band who are playing a game of Pong. And I guess they're controlling her, <laughs> that kind of stuff. It was, it was very, very, do that now. it was very, very avant-garde for like top 30 hits in 1998 yeah, yeah. in between like whatever fucking Westlife song was out that week, you know? Uh, it's a song that I think has held up a lot of other stuff does to me whether it's you know La Femme d'Argent or Sexy Boy or Talisman or whatever that album Moon Safari is uh, a classic I would suggest but they're a band that I don't really I kind of have a very superficial relationship with Air and I wonder if they're a band that you can't have more than a superficial relationship with do you know what I mean it's all very um, I hate to say it man it's all very airy it's all very feather light it's beautiful <laughs> but yeah maybe some other Cherry Blossom Girl I love I know what you mean It it does it veers very close to kind of background listening it's all extremely well done and pleasant uh you mentioned the femme d'argent there <laughs> i always think of what show dave when i think of that song uh what was it the musical bed for i've been using so much man um i don't know just tell me the FM 104 Adrian Kennedy phone show. Oh. Get it off your chest section Jesus. with fucking Jeremy Dixon. Oh, God. Horrible, 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 Which horrible. Which I, for my sins, used yeah, to listen as to well. as like me a 12-year-old or something. Yeah, um, different times. Hilarious that like that was the fucking backing for various kind of like squabbles. Um, oh, nice use of squabbles. Which, yeah. I don't hear that enough. But I mean, like in fairness, I, I think there is like a... There's an innocence to this kind of stuff, a loss of innocence, which goes at line in line. I mean, like, the era, of course, would go on, I think, to curate the Virgin Suicide soundtrack a year later. Uh, so you could have that. That's one form of a loss of innocence. Or you could have Craig and I listening to the FM 104 phone show back in the day. We all make terrible choices in life and we got to live with them. That's just the way it goes. What have you chosen for number five? Here's one of my choices, yeah. I'm going to open with a name that has been negatively co-opted, I would say, by social media in recent years. Maybe it's become a bane for the people who have it. So let's take it back. Here we go. <laughs> it's, it's Karen revisited Sonic Youth. I didn't have that, so I've already lost the game. Okay. But I'm still confident that I'll get at least two. I'm, I'm lowering my prediction to two. Oh, now. You will. You will definitely get at least two. <laughs> um, and this was kind of a late call. Uh, so yeah, Sonic Youth. It's taken from Murray Street, which was like 
a return to form in about 2002. And um, yeah, restoring the honour, I guess, of Cairns everywhere. Although it's kind of not wholly positive um, in terms of tributes. Like it's kind of got lines about her losing her mind and drug addiction and stuff. Anyway, it's one of my most played Sonic Youth songs for sure. I love the collision here of like the pop melodies and noise. It's Lee Ronaldo doing what he does best. Um, I think he's one of their... He is their best hook writer for sure. Um, it's very accessible, but also it's on the album about 11 minutes long. It's a real centerpiece and it goes off in this like ambience slash noise excursion where it just gets very acidy and brilliant. And there's layers to this as well. Like it, there's a whole Quora page about a Dave and who it's about. What the and fuck is that website, by I the always, way? Anytime that pops up. I know, like it's, it's weird. It, it genuinely it? feels, so Quora, if anyone doesn't know, is one of those things when you like type something into Google and it's like, you get answers on that or something like I guess Yahoo or whatever other like places but there's something about that one in particular that feels really unhinged and wrong and anytime I click onto it I feel like I shouldn't be there and I think it's the design yeah, or something it's, but it's, it's crowdsourced so like anyone can answer and you it seems like you occasionally get a mix of you either get like some academic that is going to give you you know pages and pages of like dead on great information or someone that's like you don't believe in Jesus? What? And then just goes on a kind of ramble. Like there's no in-between. Uh, maybe this is the in-between because <laughs> there was some okay facts in here before it got a bit squirrely. So yeah, I always associated this with Karen Carpenter, um, which would be a tribute song, Dave. But I'm not sure if it's that simple. So obviously Sonic Youth covered Superstar back in 1994. Um Apparently it does kind of reference Karen Carpenter, but it's also, it's more referencing a previous song that they had that Kim Gordon wrote about Carpenter, which was Tunic, which was a song for Karen in brackets and a bit more obvious. She's talking about how she sees her in heaven and she can see Richard and Elvis with her and all this kind of stuff. Um, But this is more squirrely. It's also apparently a little bit about... Um, one of Lee's college friends that um, went and kind of just down a bad path and kind of of self-destruction. But there's also kind of flashes of it like being multiple personalities and different times and a kind of neutral milk hotel thing where it's like, it could be about anyone. It's just breathtaking though. And that drop, which we just heard there, there's been times I've been listening to that on the train and being like, I need to lose my mind to this. And all you can do is like a kind of Tim Henman fist pump of like, yeah, I love that bit. <laughs> That's still a lovely image though, Craig. And I quite enjoy being on Thank a train you. on the rare occasion I get to be on one. But uh, uh, yeah, just, you know, maintain decorum on the rails, my friend. You've got you, it. Um, you use the phrase breathtaking. I think that would apply to my number four. Absolutely incredible raw expression there from Burnt Out, a multimedia project uh, Dublin-based featuring David Balfe and Paul Curran. The song is Dear James, and of course, 
the name Dave Balfe should be very familiar to listeners of this show. He is, of course, now making music under the name of For Those I Love. This was a previous project with his best friend, Paul Curran, uh, whose life, of course, informs, informed and continues to inform so much of what he does now. Um, Burnt Out were a collective of young creatives from North Dublin, uh, combining uh, kind of various kind of skill sets, exploring working class identity in a variety of different mediums without restriction. Uh, that was kind of the the intro text to an interview that they did back in 2016 with Thinkhouse. Um, so one of the questions they were asked in that interview was, what messages do you guys try to address through Burnt Out? Dave Balfe said, the most enduring thing about the core of Burnt Out for all of us was to do with our identity as working class people, using our project to personally address class disparity in the way that we've experienced it, but also to give representation to ourselves and working class identity in a way that we feel is treated with the reverence and respect that we feel it deserves. Paul goes on to say, you see a lot of misrepresentation of the working class, especially in the arts in Ireland. So it's our plight to put across the truth of what is actually happening. When they were asked specifically about this song, Paul Curran said, for me personally and for Burnt Out, it was imperative that we spoke as honestly as we possibly could about where we're from and the stories that we have to tell. Occasionally that means telling tragic stories about real people. This was one of those cases and the lyrics are self-explanatory. Those words, of course, would echo years later when For Those I Love kind of came to light. Um, Burnt Out were an act that like when they were kind of around and, and these videos were coming out, there was this one, Dear James, there was Joyrider around 2016. I must confess, like I didn't quite catch on to it. I was aware of it and I saw some mutual kind of friends sharing it and like much like with what Dave Balfe is doing now, the visual is so important as well. Like these are incredibly striking black and white videos of uh, a different side of Dublin than we often see, you know, in the media and often see on the screen, um, backed by, like I say, just incredible music. This music in particular, like, you know, you hear it in Paul Curran's vocals, you hear it in the uh, amazing kind of, like the, like, the guitar line, like, feels like it kind of has a thrall to so much of the guitar music that I love, but also is very much its own thing. Uh, unvarnished, unrestricted, uh, as that word that was used. And I think this song kind of remains an incredible clarion call for an awful lot of people in this country, an awful lot of people who find catharsis in the difficult side of life, in the difficult side of music, and challenge it that way. And obviously, like, you know, for so many people this year who kind of fell under the spell of what Dave Balfe is doing now, as for those I love, I think that this is an incredible um, companion, if that's even a fair thing to say. I mean, it has a very different context, but they are forever linked in a, in, in a way that I find so powerful. I can't find, the, I can't quite find the words for it, but going back to this song this week and going back to the music I've burned out, it never fails to stop you in its tracks. Um, it was genuinely one of a kind. Um, and I think the spirit obviously does live on today, not just with For Those Who Love, but with a lot of other acts too, who kind of have tapped into something very unique that was happening at the time that, like I say, to my own shame, took me too long to get to. I think that choice really taps into the spirit of this top five, Dave, uh, you know, putting names to feelings and yeah. The emotional depth that comes with all those details, which is done so well here. So from unvarnished looks at city life to pastoral escapism with my number four.
just reminds me of Fleetwood Mac for whatever reason. Uh, it's not Rhiannon by that band. It's Midlake's Roscoe. Um, Midlake were um, and still are kind of prog folkies from Texas. Um, this was when Tim Smith was still in the band. The album is The Trials of Van Occupanther. He was the primary songwriter and what a song this is. Uh, they actually kind of I lost touch with them a little bit. I don't think they've released anything in a number of years, but they released an album after this one without Tim and it was actually really good. I remember reviewing it at the time, um, but maybe they felt like they did all they kind of needed to do and they couldn't sustain it on another album. But yeah, this is just a great kind of tribute to the psyche kind of Southern rock that they grew up on. Um, it's expansive as hell. It just sounds like the subject matter and the Roscoe at the centre of the song is just some imagined person. So Tim Smith's talked about like how he came to the lyrics and how it has this feeling of escapism, of wanting to live in like a different time, be a different person, not being satisfied with the way things are. He didn't plan it. He said it just kind of came out and he would have these kind of dreams of it kind of seems like what Amish people or people in the 1800s or something and he started with the word stonecutters and imagined himself being born uh, with the name something more productive like Roscoe yeah born in 1891 waiting with Aunt uh, Rosaline and uh, yeah it's just I fucking love this song <laughs> it's very transportative it does exactly what he set out to do um it's just the piece of concentrating on these, apart from Roscoe, nameless people that were building stuff in their community, living a simple life, far more simple than our lives, Dave, but somehow accomplishing far more. <laughs> That's uh, beautifully put. And I think, yeah, there's a nice kind of vagueness in that as well. Uh, pastoral escapism, you say. That's one of the most partridge yeah, intros man. you've done in some time. <laughs> I was like, this could be absolutely... There's competition. Uh, yeah, this, this, this could be absolutely anything. Ah, this is a timeless classic. I adore this song. Always have when I first heard it back in the mid-2000s. Uh, it's held up incredibly well they are a band that are hard to pin down they have been off the radar for quite some time but yeah roscoe by midlake is it remains one of my favorite songs that's a beautiful beautiful choice my number three Before i was a child i wonder what if my name had changed into something more productive like roscoe and born in God. Would you look at that? <laughs> Would you look at that, Kevin? It's the police. It's not the police. It's Midlake again and Roscoe again. Uh, wonderful, wonderful stuff, Craig. An incredibly beautiful song. Uh, the first time I heard it, I didn't know what I was hearing. Um, they are an interesting <laughs> band, an American folk rock band from Denton, Texas, formed in 1999. What year was that again? A pretty important year, I think, in the musical calendar. Um, Denton. You mentioned, by the way, real quick, that like they, their frontman whose vocals are just so unbelievable on this one they're absolutely beautiful um he is no longer with the band he was replaced i think by their guitarist the album that they did release around that time in the in 2013 that you said you reviewed i reviewed it as well for drowning sound the album was called antiphon Ant antiphon, antiphon yeah. yeah yeah and um if i recall 
correctly, my review closed with me saying, I was kind of critical. I was kind of like, you know, this guy's voice isn't as good as the original singers. There's still some good stuff going from them, though. It is a good album. But I think I closed off by yeah. saying, uh, it's a new beginning loaded with promise. I'd like to apologize for that. <laughs> I haven't released anything in eight years. Um, Maybe it's the weight of um, that kind of review. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're just like, what do we do now? Where do we go from here? It kind here? of came out of nowhere. And like, I don't even know like if you could call this song a hit. It's a hit among hipsters. It's uh, my new music festival, by the way, taking place every sure. summer. Yeah, Midlake by Roscoe. Uh, Roscoe go by midlake i should say i'm, I'm so uh, discombobulated by you picking this and again i didn't have this on your list i had it on mine obviously it's fitting those glorious harmonies in that song and we are harmonious in our as picks. we are all right uh it's your turn i think it is yeah uh let's do another song that's pure happiness to my ears <laughs> it's about freedom it's about empowerment in the 1970s <laughs> from me at this point if I may Craig before you continue on this list uh, number one is I would like to abandon my previously cocky demeanour at my uh, suggestion that I could oh, predict really? your list because <laughs> I've got it very wrong so far you're definitely going to get one okay uh, let's stick to one and then the other thing was when this first started I had a brief terrifying moment when I thought this might have been Layla by Eric Clapton but it isn't <laughs> <laughs> thank god for that God, would I go with the fully amped up electric version or the acoustic thing he did on MTV Unplugged in the 90s? Uh, who can say? We'll never know now. It's the Kinks. It's Lola. It's from Lola vs. Powerman and the Money Go Round 1970. And it was like a bit of a hit for them after they slipped into the wilderness a, a, like a, a bit towards the end of the 60s. They couldn't get visas sorted out uh, in the US and it seemed like time was running out for them. This was a surprise hit, not least because it was actually banned on uh, British radio because they had a reference to Coca-Cola initially, um, which you had to re-record vocals for. It wasn't banned because um, it was dealing, it was the tale of um, a trans man um, and a kind of hookup in a bar. Uh, it's The lyrics are great. It's one of those ones where it's very well-intentioned, but it was written at the end of the 60s. Um, so I think we've got to give it um, some credit. And it's like, yeah, the conversation has moved on a bit. But certainly just reading about it this week, and there's been some great um, pieces done on it in recent times, New York Times a couple of years ago, talking about how important it was back then at a time when homosexuality was still outlawed in Britain and Ray Davies was writing these kind of songs. Uh, J.D. Doyle, who's a music historian who ran the radio show Queer Music Heritage, said this was like the first big hit with an LGBT team. Made history, it was really important and inspired Lou Reed to write stuff like Walk on the Wild Side. <clears throat> and as with all kind of the Kinks songs, there are great character studies, but there are also, there's a huge amount of warmth and empathy um, for the characters within them. The album itself is like a lot about the music industry and there's some nasty people in it. And Lola is one of the few people you kind of root for. And there's some, you know, there's kind of like the twist in the lyrics and there's a bit of a kind of a joke to some of it. But at the heart of it, it's like... <clears throat> this relationship that you really kind of grow to care about and admire the lack of care and just people being 
true to themselves and certainly Ray Davies in the decade since has backed up that sentiment and what he was trying to go for uh talking about Lola he said yeah the portrayal was kind of it was reflecting his general approach to character so he said when I write songs I put myself in the part Sunday afternoon he wanted to show this kind of broken down aristocrat and become him in Lola's journey I did a bit of research around kind of drag queens I admire anyone who can get up and be what they want to be and he was just tapping into like you know the swing 60s in London and social change and people finally getting to be who they wanted to be and everything about this is joyous everything about this is a celebration that kind of freedom it's got that great weird not quite banjo sound to it like the riff is fantastic it's like he's combined like you really got me with one of his kind of character pieces it's doing like country rock better than the stones and it's one of my favorite songs still and that's my number three i know you're a huge kings fan am i imagining this or misremembering or did you interview ray davies did that happen yeah, when he released his um, memoir, which was actually mainly mainly about his time in America, um, or lack thereof, and his struggles. And yeah, yeah, it was one of those interviews, I've definitely told you this story, where it's like halfway through the interview, I was like, I have to tell him how important he Ah, uh, yeah, it's one of those Hayden Thorpe style. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I did. And it was kind of like one of those things where... Um, the Kinks were massive in my ma- my mom's side of family. Um, just kind of grew up listening to her stuff, and I said something along the lines of like, "You hear a lot about families either being Beatles or Rolling Stones households, but like my house was like a Kinks house," which he was like, you know, he seemed to take very well. But he also then was just like, he clearly quite rightly thought this must be the end of the interview because the journalist is now gushing about my music but I was only like halfway through and I was like Ray can I just keep you for a few more minutes and he stayed for like another half an hour and he's great but yeah I was one of those kind of few and far between interviews which you've had yourself where you're just oh yeah you lose uh, some um, smidge of professionalism. You have to though sometimes. You have to though sometimes. And <laughs> yeah. in fairness, like I mean, like like uh, either, yeah, you can't always hold it to the end. Either you have to just kind of be like, before I proceed with this very important political based question, can <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. say you're fucking amazing? <laughs> Thanks. And they're like, oh, cheers. I know. <laughs> so, right. What you do with that? Like, I know. <sighs> but you got, like, but you aren't gonna get the chance again, though. You know, you're, like you're just professing your love, and that's a good thing. Here's a song that I love at number two. Um, I am convinced I have put this in a top five before, but Sonic Architect Adam couldn't find it in the archives, neither could I. So if this is a repeat, I do apologize, but I think it's a song that's worth highlighting once again. It's amazing. Here it is. So that's a band called Stella Star. Uh, they were around from 2000 until about 2009, so short-lived enough. They're from New York. The song is called My Coco. Now, I don't know anybody called Coco, but it's a great name, in fairness. Coco Chanel, anyone named Coco, I think we can agree. Um, and if, if you have the privilege to find love, you could be someone's Coco, aka My Coco. Where am I going with this? I just want to say that the song My Coco by the band Stella Star is fucking awesome. Um, kind of a unique band. Didn't really pop, I guess, hugely, certainly not this side of the Atlantic. Um, my my often mentioned friend Adam, who made me some mix CDs back in the kind of mid-2000s and really kind of put me on a good musical path, 
uh, threw this on one of them and I was just mesmerized by it. I think it's a song that doesn't get enough love. Um, I I think it's just an incredible standout song that like, like everyone has those songs, you know, I, I, I think this is just irresistible. Yeah. Um, I, you know, listen to it this week as well. Um, it made me wonder um, how Carrie Bradshaw of me there it made me wonder, um, should we do a top five songs that don't get enough love? Should that be one that we could maybe look into? I mean, how would we quantify that? But I kind of thought there are these yeah, hidden gems. It is interesting. There's these hidden. I mean, th- this band had hidden a career. I mean, they were around. I mean, like, um, they did okay. They reviewed on Pitchfork. I think this album, the self-titled, got like seven point four out of ten or something. And it closed by saying that Stella Star's bold cinematic sprawl demands a certain kind of tolerance and might require a few listens before you're able to fully adjust to its dramatics. But their singer Sean Christensen, in the end, is an oddly convincing leader. And if nothing else you'll be stuck to your headphones trying to guess his next move wasn't quite his next move but in 2012 after the band had dissolved he won a fucking oscar for best live action short feature film for the film curfew yes that's pretty good right decent cv yeah but outside of this song and then one song they got called sweet troubled soul which is a very fun bop uh which popped up on an episode of oc rival one tree hill uh when i was watching that back in the day fuck the oc (laughs) 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 um i haven't really they don't have a cultural footprint to me outside of this and people need to hear a bit more of them if just those two songs but specifically this one my coco which i think is just fucking amazing and yeah like i mean singular enough unique enough in its way but also very much in that kind of you know mid-2000s american pop sheen bit airborne toxic event the guys heard david burn one too many times but but I think he justifies it and this song is an epic and it's a classic and I just think I, I just don't think it's heard enough Greg or talked about enough so here it is Nice we did a we did top five songs that should have been hits but maybe that's a slightly different thing more in the kind of realms of pop than something we like this We did specifically but, um, pop ones yeah it was like pop songs yeah. that should have been massive I think is the top five that we did There might, might be something in that uh, Supergrass debut album I Should Coco oh, as well very nice Shout out Good to luck. that, which I think is some Cockney rhyming, so I don't know what it means. But anyway, Dave, my number two, I'm giving you this one. You've definitely got this one. Dave had it. <laughs> um, I had to include it. I was going to leave it off because it is predictable, but I probably would have been crucified if it was like, it would have been very like, I don't know, calculated to leave this off. It yeah, is, that's of course, when we start playing Jasmine. <laughs> Jasmine by J. Paul. Yeah, that's when we start playing yeah. too many games, isn't it? You know, like that's when we start like yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. game each other. But uh, sorry, I stepped all over you there. Say the name of it again, just so everyone knows. It's Jasmine and it's by J. Paul. And um, yeah, I had to pick this because I bought two copies of the Jasmine scented vinyl that took what two years to turn up. Did turn up though. Smelt faintly of Jasmine for the first ten minutes, and then that was that. Well worth the wait. <laughs> uh, but this song, I would wait forever for this song. It's great. We've talked about this and Jay quite a lot, so maybe we'll have a little clip of Dan Snaith, uh, Caribou, talking about what this song and his production meant to him. The next track is uh, by, I'm not entirely sure if it's J. Paul or Jai Paul, how you pronounce his name, but the track's called Jasmine. And I think like a lot of people in the last few years, I was totally transfixed by 
this track. It's just such a distinctive sound. Yes, the, the first thing that you notice is just the, like the kind of mad sounds that come out of nowhere as you're listening to the track. Something like uh, slice through the mix. I want to aspire to make music that's exciting and has unexpected things happen, but like that is truly unexpected and amazing. It lives in its own world. Like he's one of those great artists that appears like totally fully formed, sounding just like himself and nobody else, which is which is fantastic. And then disappears. Um, J. Paul, please come back. Just on it, the, the name of the song, um, it would appear to be a real person. There's the cool cover art, but also um, Jay was celebrating the 10th anniversary, God, of BTSTU recently. And he put up like um, this archive thing of like his old MySpace, which is somewhat legendary. I can't remember if it had some of the comments on the page, but I remember someone on his Reddit a couple of years ago when everyone was like really thirsty for new stuff when it seemed like he was coming back just digging around online and some super sleuth found the real Jasmine on his MySpace comments and posted them, which is like hilarious. So it was like March uh, 2010, which was before the song. And this Jasmine... We don't have Jay's comments. We just have her saying, um, sounds perfect. No, hold on. Ha, so ahead of the times. Get a record out, boy. Here, here. And nice to kind of meet you. Kiss, kiss. This was at, like, this was in the middle of the night. Then the other one was, <laughs> sounds perfect. Keep in touch. And yeah, the leopard pants really tie the whole look together. Um, so this was clearly someone he'd met maybe on a night out and was flirting with. And then he you know, named a song after her, which is probably the best reason to name a song after someone, right? And one of the best songs of its era as well, which I guess takes that notch beyond, you know, it's like, it's not creepy if he wrote a classic, right? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> they could be married for, for all we know. know. Like, Who knows? <laughs> um, right. What I know is I knew you'd pick it. I knew you had to pick it. It would have been, it would have been yeah. a betrayal of everybody involved with this show if you didn't pick it. And that includes Jay Paul. He's behind the scenes somewhere. My number one um, for me is one of the most undeniable choruses of the 2010s. It's Yes, it's Canadian indie pop sensations always, which is spelt with mm. two V's, of course. And the song is Archie Marry Me, which I still think is called Marry Me Archie, based on how it's sung in the chorus by Molly Rankin. The song is from 2014, and it's incredible. I adore this song. It's a song that for me very much went to the same school as Johnny Boys. You are the generation that bought more shoes and you get what you deserve. Yes. And also, I would suggest a song that I could have picked for this list, but didn't because I thought they might sound a bit too similar. Lloyd, I'm ready to be heartbroken by 
yeah. Camera Obscura. <laughs> that was on my shortlist. Yeah, beautiful, well, beautiful yeah. song. That kind of just huge, washed out reverb, incredible vocal, booming, uh, pop perfection, I would suggest. And this song, how, well, how do you feel about the concept of marriage, Craig? Particularly as, you know... M- it's very forward of you. <laughs> much like myself. Um, uh, are, are we of the marrying age? Is, is that how it works these days? I don't know. Oh, very much yeah, so, I guess yeah. So. I mean, I've been on a lot of stags. Um, I'm not against the concept whatsoever. I'm against PR events uh, from the wedding industry where they get brides out on the street. To, I'm oh, sorry, man, I'm, I'm, I'm loving this political, uh, like... Quagmire know, right? just keeps popping up in this episode with you. It's great. The man's got takes this week. But I, I guess this title is kind of, I always thought it was slightly tongue-in-cheek, right? Isn't it the like whole marry me, maybe thing? Yeah, very much so. And it's also, yeah. um, <laughs> Adam's like, Craig goes off on brides <laughs> to our special on Patreon. Um, yeah, no, this was written very much as kind of a riposte to um, people getting married at a young age and just kind of rushing it or whatever and just like being like, what's the big fucking yeah. deal? So Molly Rankin, I think, was in a relationship with um, a member of the band at the time, Alec O'Hanley. So this is like a critique that they wrote together of the, quote, standard societal expectation that one is to marry upon entering adulthood. Um, they were reacting with derision to their friends quickly being wed. So I wonder if they were invited to those weddings, perhaps to play at them, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, um, this song wasn't a chart hit, even though like it should have been because like it just has everything that it like it could need um uh, Rankin described the song as just two kids without any direction doing it on a women in a courthouse saying who cares to everyone else who has all of their ducks in a row before settling down it was the most, most romantic thing I could think of at the time critics loved it uh, Ryan Domble of Pitchfork likened its sound to Neil Young and com- complimenting its commitment to more contemporary as a quote new sort of forever which is the most like music critic <laughs> bullshit line ever and I love it uh, Rolling Stone said it's the kind of song that some acts spend their entire career career trying to write. It's been covered by Ben Gibbard, because of course it has, and it was ranked among the best tracks of 2014 by Rolling Stone, NME, Pitchfork, The Washington Post, and very much others. But yeah, it has had that weird kind of bastardization over the years. A lot of people think of it as an unironic love song, just a straight up like great love song, probably playing at their own weddings, um, which of course is not the intention of the song now, is it? But Molly Rankin, reflecting upon the song's mild success in that regard, has said... Uh, I'm glad people can glean their own narrative from it, which is, I guess, what interpretation is all about. But yes, Archie, marry me, not marry me, Archie, I think is one of the great songs of the 2010s and the chorus is just to die for. Very good. Okay, Dave, you've one last chance mm. to get one right. I'm, I'm, I'm confident. Um, you're confident. I, before you, okay. are we? How are we going well, to do this? Do you want to reveal your guess? Uh, no, because I've, like I, I had five. I'll, I'll do it afterwards. But like I, I had five in mind. You've only done one of them. Um, it's got to be one of two. It's got to be one of two, right? So. Okay. Um, I thought that there's one that you could pick, which actually would make a great echo of a conversation that we had on the top five recently. Or it's a real person. Which is it? It's a real person. <laughs> is it Alex Chilton by The Replacements? Hit it.
Congratulations, Alec Chilton, the replacements. Um, what was the other hey, one? When I'm, when, when, when I'm good, I'm good. No, Hannah Hunt was in my long list of songs that we can't use again for a while. So I, I might as yeah, well. Yeah, because you'd had a I might as well tell you the five in. songs I thought you would pick. Now, the fifth one here is yeah. kind of a, oh, I need a fifth one. So I just thought that you might go for Sam Stone by John Prine, which I don't know if you even like that what? song. <laughs> No, it's a very song. good song. It's very depressing. Um, okay, but the four, I was definitely confident you would have picked. So I got two of them. I got Jasmine and I got Alex Jill. Yeah. I thought you would have. I good thought job. you would have picked Jane Says by Jane's Addiction. I'm Ah, uh, yeah, that was in my top twenty for sure. And the, we don't t- talk enough about. Jane's we don't Addiction no for well. sure. And I came this close to picking them, but I thought you would have had them. And the other one that I I'm genuinely stunned that you didn't pick, and the one that would have been the echo of what we talked about recently when you were so defensive of them. I thought you would have picked Jacqueline by Franz Ferdinand. You love that song. Oh, I would have. I was thinking Lindsay Wells by Franz Ferdinand. Oh, shit. Maybe that's what uh, I was thinking of. Kind of backed them up as well. I love Jacqueline as well. It's great. So much better on holidays. But no, I went with this. It's. Um, this could top a lot of these top fives we're doing. It just takes a lot of boxes for me. Favorite tributes, favorite songs about like rock and roll, all that kind of stuff. Um, it kind of echoes the conversation we were having about Ray Davies and like your heroes and stuff, because this is Paul Westerberg of The Replacements um, talking to his hero, um, Alex Chilton of Big Star, who'd fallen uh, not quite on hard times, but hadn't had the success that Big Star deserved. He'd kept on trucking. He was still a working musician. He'd played on replacement stuff. Uh, the likes of Can't Hardly Wait. And um, yeah, like that kind of, some of those lines we heard just there was literally Paul Westberg having that conversation of just like, you mean so much to me, man. And I'm, I'm in love with one of those songs here as well. What's that song? And he like, he was so kind of starstruck. He forgot the name of Watch the Sunrise. And that's what the kind of, the lead line is but it's such a great um rewriting of history i guess where <laughs> alex chilton is like you know beatlemania levels of fame and wherever he goes people come to flock and it's kind of in the same vein to touch back on sonic youth of like a teenage riot which is jay mascus um becoming like president of the united states i love that kind of alt history aspect to it but it's just it does what Big Star did brilliantly, so it's kind of meta in that way. The riffs are huge, um, the breakdown's great. It's so good. It's everything exciting about rock and roll in one song, and that's why it's my number one. Uh, masterful selection. You got a bit Radio Nova at the end there, but it's okay, buddy. You know, you're feeling it. It's good stuff. We're both a little bit Radio Nova, Oh, yeah, right? sure. I literally, I literally do like a fucking <laughs> slot on there every few weeks. So like, <laughs> yeah, I've, never, I've never let it go and I never will. But what I will let go into the night, as it were, and he's got a birthday coming up, everybody. And I want you to join me right now and saying happy birthday. The first, we'll do it again next week. Adam Shanahan, Sonic Architect to the stars and the host of Before the Encore. Happy early birthday Woo-hoo. to the man that we love the most. He's the best. He is the absolute best. And I love him a lot. I love you too, Craig. And and I love songs. I love you songs both. Songs with names in them. I love, I love songs. songs, man. <laughs> Got to dip them back in the partridge. <laughs> that was top five songs with names in them. Uh, on the show next week, if you want to get an early preview, patreon.com slash noencore on Monday. We will be posting what we'll be doing next, top five wise and album wise. It is patreon.com slash noencore. Bonus episodes as well, of course. We're going to record a new No Ox Chord next weekend. Not this weekend, but next weekend. And that'll be out soon as well. 
If you want to help support the show, patreon.com slash no encore. I got really into the slash there. I got kind of slash. slash. You're still on your nova thing. <laughs> Coming up next, Miles Kennedy and slash. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much the show, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed it. My name is Dave Hanready. His name is Greg Fitzpatrick. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. We're back next week. Donda, out now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.